fellas. I'm talking to you from the bowels of the old Schubert Theater in Chicago. I'm in almost previews for Boop, but I wanted to say, hey, have a great show. I'm excited, Eddie's on your show. I was excited to be in his book. Scary, but he was wonderful. And uh, I think people will really enjoy the conversations. Have a great show. Wish I was there. Come to see Boop. Love you guys. Happy Friday, everyone, and welcome to a very special edition of Richard Skipper Celebrates. Who or what are you celebrating tonight? Tonight, I am celebrating the great leading ladies of Broadway, and to help me do so is this wonderful man right here. 
Eddie Shapiro, you were here two years ago when your book, A Wonderful Guy, came out. And now you've got this incredible follow-up. It's an amazing book. I can't put it down. Uh, it should be on the shelves of every theater school in the country. And we need more theater schools, by the way. Uh, but uh, we're going to celebrate them tonight, but we're going to celebrate you as well. How are you? Well, honestly, I'm... I started tearing up because you just let in first with that surprise message from Faith Prince was so, so lovely. But then Barbara Cook, um, on so many levels, uh, as if you know from having read the book, Barbara Cook was the inspiration for all three of the books, starting with this one. Um, so she really was the start of this whole process for me. Um, and, and to be able to include her chapter in this book now is really fulfilling to me. So um, it, that, that song was so on point. And then hearing her sing again just made me very emotional. So that's how I am. <laughs> well, I'm the Barbara Walters of podcasting. I, there I you go. If I can make you tear up, I, I've done my job. Then I guess uh, we're done. <laughs> we're, we're, no, we're just beginning. But you started out on top uh, because your books, first of all, are incredible. The fact that you've gotten the opportunity to interview these great artists, both male and female on Broadway. Uh, you begin your book by telling us that COVID truly helped you out with this book. Yes. Uh, and you and I, we sat down and spoke in March of 2021. Right. Uh, and thank you, Richard J. Alexander, for putting the bug in your ear to call me to come on the show. So um, Eden Castile is watching. I don't know if you know Eden, uh, but she has a phenomenal show celebrating another leading lady. That's Madeline Kahn. Um, and that's directed by Faith Prince. And... Uh, Eden, you know, made this happen with Faith. So thank you, Eden. Oh, thank you. I wanted you. to ask you, what kind of a tree are you? Oh, my God. What kind of a tree am I? I wish I knew enough trees. Um, <laughs> um, I like to think I'm a fruit-bearing tree um, and something flexible that blows in the wind, but pretty damn sturdy. So I bounce it back to Eden to tell me, with those, with that criteria, what kind of tree am I? Well, do you know why I she wanted me to ask you this question? No. Because a very famous interview that Barbara Walters had with oh. Catherine Hepburn, and she said, what kind of a tree are you? And Catherine Hepburn says, I am a mighty oak. There so you, you are a fruit-bearing tree. And a few hellos that I have for you tonight. Uh, first of all, uh, Kelly O'Hara is on stage tonight at Carnegie Hall In with fact Sutton Foster. Yes, in fact, Richard, Richard, so Richard, you had scheduled this at eight o'clock. And the reason I had to move the time is because I'm going straight from here to Carnegie Hall. So, <laughs> uh, so how do you get there? Practice, 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 or Kelly O'Hara. So she yeah. sends her love. And I'm oh. sorry that she wasn't able to be on here tonight. Uh, also, Rachel York is out at sea. Uh, and then, you know, and I didn't even know about this event. Uh, just a few days ago, you were at the Drama Bookshop. And look at this incredible photo. Yeah, that yeah, that was lovely. It was really, really. Lo I, I'm so um, 
moved and honored that these women wanted to show up and help promote the book. And we had an incredibly robust talk that went on and on. The Drama Bookshop planned on it being an hour and they just let it keep going because there was so How much- How could you stop them? Right, exactly, I mean, exactly. With that much electricity in the room. Uh, I wanna ask you, Faith said in her introduction that being interviewed by you was scary. And I've also had several people say that to me. It's, I think it's a great compliment because it shows that you went in prepared. Uh, do you remember the first time you saw Faith Prince on stage and what that experience was like for you? Yes, I absolutely do. Um, I saw Faith Prince. In, I mean, I remember being at the very first preview of Jerome Robbins Broadway um, and um, being, of course, I, I was so overwhelmed by the show. I went back the next night, um, but I I didn't know from Faith Prince. Um, and there she was in, in that cavalcade of talent um, being so outstanding, um, particularly in the, in the gypsy number, but also in, in the, um, I still get jealous number with, with Jason Alexander. And then very shortly thereafter, you know, that was very fruitful period for her. It was falsetto land and Nick and Nora and guys and dolls all within a few year span. Um, and she was blowing it up with, uh, such different and varied performances. And I absolutely fell in love with her. And I chased her hard. Uh, when when I was doing this book, when I was doing Nothing Like a Dame, I approached her uh, with flowers in hand at, at a concert in Costa Mesa, California. Um, and I had them delivered backstage. And she came out afterwards and she said, yes, of course I'll do your book. And you know I will because my name is Faith. And I walked away and I said, no, your name is not Trust. <laughs> but okay, sure. So... Um, but then, then as it came time, we kept scheduling and she kept kind of having to cancel or avoid or whatever. And she was really kind of dodging me. Um, and, and I think that she, I mean, she sort of admitted it here that it was scary to her. Um, and she ended up not doing that first book. And then when, when, when I had the opportunity to do a second one, I approached her again and I, she, she finally uh, agreed to it. Um, but she, you know, sort of revisiting all of this stuff and going through your entire chronology um, with somebody who is asking questions that are just, you know, not surfacey questions um, is a lot for some people and it's challenging. Um, and she was, she was nervous. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I'm gratified. I mean, as you saw, she was at the drama bookshop and talking to you now. So I'm gratified, always gratified with at the end of it, they come out feeling like, Oh, actually that was pretty, pretty nice and pretty great. And I felt taken care of. And I felt like I could trust. Um, well, I want you know, to talk a little bit about fear because the chapter uh, on Barbara Cook uh, was overwhelming to me. I mean, first of all, I remember the first time I saw her on stage, it was in concert uh, when she was doing her Barbara Cook on Broadway concert. Yeah. I saw it six times. Uh, I kept going back. <laughs> yes. And it was, uh, and any chance that I got to see Barbara Cook live, uh, it was a masterclass uh, yeah. every single time. And she is so forthright and so honest with you about her fears, you know, from the very beginning. And those fears never left her. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the humanity of that was shocking to me. 
because Barbara Koch is actually one of the very first interviews I did for Nothing Like a Dame. Um, and so I wasn't prepared for that level of, of, of honesty. Um, and I was, I was really moved. Um, and Barbara Cook actually gave me, so I'll tell you two things about Barbara Cook. One, you know, but your listeners do not necessarily know um, that that chapter uh, and the reason it wasn't in Nothing Like a Dame is Nothing Like a Dame took a long time to write because there are 20 women in that book I was only meeting with people in person. Um, and so I'm bi-coastal. I split my time between New York and Los Angeles. So between my schedule and the schedule of these busy working actors, um, coordinating was was hard. And oftentimes there were multiple sessions. Cheetah Rivera did six sessions. Um, and sometimes we would meet, we would talk for two hours. And then the next time we could meet was nine months later. So you multiply that by 20 women and it took a very long time to write. And Barbara Cook was the one of the first ones that I did. And uh, by the time I was ready to publish, she asked me not to publish because she had decided to do her own autobiography. Mm -hmm. And I was crushed about that because I love this chapter. Um, but of course, I understood. Um, and uh, when this book came around, um, I wrote to her son and 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 he wanted to read it, of course. And he said, you know, he hears her mother in it. Um, and and he, he was very approving. Um, uh, and uh, so he agreed to, to, to let it be published. Um, so I was so glad to let it see the light of day, but the gift that Barbara Cook gave me other than just the chapter itself was, you know, in talking to all of these women, and I'm sure you experience this too, uh, with the people that you talk to, it's the things that you expect, the opportunity to talk to these people and to connect with them is itself a gift. But then on top of that, there are the life lessons that you never see coming at you. And uh, the so I'm leaving Barbara Cook's house and she says to me, um, you know, the usual things that you say, you're very gracious as you're leaving, goodbye, whatever. And she says, you know, she takes me by both hands and she says, you know, you're really very, very good at this. And I am terrible at compliments. So I, I made some joke. I don't remember. I shrugged it off. And she gripped me really hard. And she said, no, listen to me. You have to know that you're really good at this. And I walked and away. Yet, the, the interesting thing about this, excuse me for interrupting, was that she had trouble accepting that within herself. Yes, yes. Which is probably why she was very much in touch with communicating it to others. But... Um, so I walked down West End Avenue from her place and I'm thinking to myself, Barbara Cook's been interviewed once or twice. And if Barbara Cook is telling me, um, that I'm really good at this, then I should take that to heart and not in an egotistical way, but just sort of recognize that I, I, I have a place at this table. Um, and that was a, that was a really lovely thing to sort of, for her to drill into me that way. Um, I really appreciate it. And considering well, let me ask you this. When you started with these interviews, what was your original intent? And do you feel that that is still where you're coming from? Yes. And what I mean by that was, you know, you could have gone in uh, as a, a gushing fan, or you could go in wanting to share their process with the world, which is what I get from your books and what I love about your books. It is the latter, um, but it, but it is but the former can't help but come through. <laughs> um, so, 
um, I the uh, it's back to Barbara Cook. The impetus for for this book, for all three books, was I like you. I would see Barbara Cook um, in concert, and I started doing that right around when you saw Barbara Cook's Broadway in the eighties. And she would tell these stories about the golden age of musical theater and about having worked with all of the people that she worked with. And you know, they're nuggets, they're patter when they're in the in the context of a show, and. I would always hunger for more of that. And that gave me the idea to capture stories. Um, and I I wrote to Barbara Cook. Uh, I sent her a, a somewhat probably embarrassing, probably uh, eccentric letter um, uh, asking whether or not she wanted to work on her autobiography. And, and she wrote back, uh, no. And at that time it was true. Um, although of course she later did one, but, um, but that still got me thinking well, why stop at Barbara Cook? There are, you know, many stories to capture. So I wrote to her again and I said, what if you were only a chapter in a book as opposed to the whole book? And to that, she said, yes. And that's where I was off to the races. But I very much, the goal was, as you say, to really get into their 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 process and also, but not not sort of, not actor speak, not the process of how you create a character, but the process of just living the life in the theater um, and, and what that's like and um, how you navigate that. And uh, I really wanted to make sure that I was covering the totality of a career. I wanted to do career encompassing conversations that would be more than any article I would read in the arts and leisure section. That was the goal. Well, getting back to Barbara's song, It's Not Where You Start, we're going to start at the beginning with this book. So you got an incredible, one of my favorite leading men in the theater um, to do your introduction to the book. Um, so uh, how did you get Norm Lewis uh, to write the introduction? I asked him. <laughs> I mean, that one, sometimes some of these things are easier than others. Norm is somebody I call a good friend. Um, uh, so, uh, oh, Oh, God damn. <laughs> How are you? Hi, mister. What's up? All right, so I have, to qualify, I have to qualify this. I'm at a friend's house, and they're having dinner, but this is like, they don't have a ring light, and this is the only place. You look, you're looking, look at me. I'm so pink, and you look gorgeous. Oh, God bless you. It's the, the, it's yeah. the front door. But anyway, this is, they, this, is the only, this is the best light they have in the house. So anyway. I'm so glad I didn't start to say that while well, I had to bribe Norm or I paid him. <laughs> the check did, it, it did clear. So it's good. Well, that's great. So Norm, um, how, I mean, had you read Eddie's pre previous book? Yes, uh, yes. And I know that you were also profiled yourself. Yeah, it was, uh, what was interesting was um, reading his book. It's, there's such a love of theater. You know what I mean? Like it's so hard to find people who, can you know there's a couple of people i can name i don't want to name them because this is eddie's night but there's a couple of people that that just love theater and eddie's one of them and he's at the forefront of of making sure that this legacy continues and he writes so almost i would say poetically just because even when i was being interviewed because like he said there's we had several we had several interviews several days um he made me sound better than i thought i sounded you know it was <laughs> i was like oh I said it like that. Okay. All right. I'll take that. But no, it's just, it's, I was just so happy for him for the first book. I was honored to be in, you know, the, the, the second book. And, and I just love the fact that 
this third one is out. And you're right. This should be in colleges. This should be studied. It should be a textbook. I totally agree. Norm, I want to ask you, uh, and I'm going to put you on the spot for a moment, so forgive me. Uh, but, you know, those of us who are lucky enough to sit down with uh, the artist of the theater, mm -hmm. um, we, you know, we have certain hopes and uh, fears and trepidations as, as well going into an interview. Um, what is it about uh, anyone such as Eddie that you would say yes to? Uh, how did that interview, first of all, come about? Well, I would say because he puts you at ease. I mean, I'm lucky enough to know. I know Eddie. Eddie's like really one of my closest friends. But I, I, uh, I, I just know he doesn't know everyone really as well. <laughs> but uh, he puts people at ease and he asks the right questions. And he does it in such a way that will make you go... Uh, he'll, you'll tell a story and then you'll think of something else. You go, Oh, Oh yeah. Well, let me tell you this part too. You know what I mean? And it just keeps going and going and going. And he just, he knows he's, you know what? He's a great actor because he knows how to listen. That's great. That's you know, great. You, you are lucky enough to go back and forth between cabaret concerts, theater, and I'm sure that many of the leading ladies uh, that you have shared stages with, uh, are profiled in these pages. Yeah. Uh, was there anything that really surprised you about any of the uh, artists that you've had the chance to work with? God, I mean, that question is so... Mm, that's a great question because each one of them... You, I, I know a lot of these ladies. I, there were certain stories I just did not know. And it's, it's funny because even... I, I just did a concert with Patti Lapone in Los Angeles, the Hollywood Bowl. And she was giving us some nuggets that I had never even heard about uh, in her life, about her her challenges with Andrew Lloyd Webber <laughs> and things like that. And and even, you know, Cameron McIntosh. And, and, and so I just love discovering each story that was coming out of these ladies. It, it was like I could not wait to turn the page to 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 see the next thing. Uh, Eddie, your same question with yourself. I mean, was there anything from the interviews that just jumped out at you that you did not know? Oh, uh, I mean, they, uh, as an interviewer, it's just like being a lawyer. Never ask a question that you don't know the answer to. Well, sometimes. but yeah. it's great to learn these new things. Yeah, but the I was so my preparation for all of these interviews, like you, Richard, I don't have to research what these people have done. I know what they've done. What my research is, is what they've said, because I never, so I try to listen to interviews or read previous interviews because um, as you, the Carol, the Carol Channing you know, the expert of them all, as you know, Carol could tell the same story to Johnny Carson in 1968 and then again in 1988 verbatim. Right. So exactly. I wanted to make sure that if I was hearing a story that had already been told and somebody was pulling out one of their tapes, I would recognize it mm -hmm. and I would be able to ask around it or ask them to expand on it. Um, so that was that was my my prep. But still, I would be on on topics or talking about, you know, this or that show. And all of a sudden, Christine Ebersole drops. Oh, well, that night was rough for me because I was hemorrhaging yeah. because, you know, I, I needed a hysterectomy a couple of days later. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Those kinds of things were shocking. And 
also, again, incredibly gratifying because as you've already touched upon, I felt like people were really opening up and really trusting. Um, and I think the reason I appreciate everything that you said, Norm, about why, why um, people might trust me. Um, I think it's the drugs that I slipped them, but also perhaps <laughs> it is the, um, there are no gotcha questions. Right. It, it becomes pretty clear early on that I'm not in it to get you to, to call out somebody or bitch about somebody or, or spill the dirt. That's not, that's not what I'm in it for. And if um, I may, add, can I add something to that as well? No. It's just that, okay, no. all right, let me shut up. <laughs> um, uh, Norm, this is between you and me now, so go ahead. <laughs> I think what it was for me, you know, even with my interview, it was more about, okay, give me the beginning, you know, start from the beginning, how'd you get started, all that stuff. But tell me your story. And he allowed me, and he allowed, I'm sure, everyone else, and that's what it seems like from reading it. He allowed us to tell our story in our way. And then he crafted it and put it together in Eddie's way and with permission. I mean, he gave, he let us read it. <laughs> he let us yeah. read it first, but, um, but yeah, it was, it was like, tell me your story. And we all want to be validated. So for me, it was like, all right, I'll, I'll give it to you, you know? And you did. <laughs> and, but, incredible. Oh, but you ahead. have to have felt safe enough and that's, yeah. you know, and that's everything. Yeah, truly, truly. Yeah. So, Norm, uh, telling your story, uh, before I let you go this evening, uh, you can stick around as long as you'd like, uh, but I know that you're having dinner. So, right. really, I thank you for popping in. What are you having? Uh, oh, I'm not telling you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not telling you that. I got to keep some secrets. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm, uh, I've got a frog in my throat. All right, Kermit. All right, yeah. Kermit, Kermit, get out of that, that throat. Sorry. Uh, so, would you consider writing your own book? You know, I've been approached a couple of times. Eddie has mentioned that too. And he's, he definitely would be someone who I would go and, and counsel with, uh, if not use as a ghostwriter. But, um, but yeah, okay. I've, been approached, I've, been, I've been approached a couple of times. Uh, and I, I think that I might do that. I want to give myself a couple more years because uh, I'm still pretty young. And there's silence. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> no, actually, what's so interesting <laughs> no. to me, I'm sorry, this isn't about, but what's interesting to me about, you know, telling your story, if I were to work with you on your story, this is now a conversation that shouldn't be on the air, but here we go. If I were to work <laughs> with you on your story, it's a whole other thing than what I did because what you're focused on now and what has happened even since we talked for Wonderful Guy, since George, George Floyd, since um, Black Theater United, since uh, like there's a whole different energy and awareness of being a, a working black artist and, and the responsibilities that come with that. And right. the, the, so there's a, there's a whole different focus right. that I would want to go for. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I, and I love you for saying that because there have been many artists, you know, I see myself as just a, a journeyman, you know, just trying to get another job, but there are many people who have come up to me, especially people of color uh, and especially males of color who have said that I'm an inspiration to them. So yeah. there was a responsibility to that. So, yeah, I definitely would want something out there to uh, represent me in the best way. Well, Norm, yesterday I got a phone call from my friend Jackie Parker, who I think you know very well. Yeah. And she was at the uh, Oscar Hammerstein Awards on Monday night. Right. Uh, where Patti Lapone was being honored. Right. And she said, your rendition of Being Alive, she said for the first time she heard the song. 
Oh, wow. Wow. Patty wouldn't have liked to hear that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Patty will watch this later, and Patty, come on the show. We can discuss that. Exactly. So, uh, So congratulations on everything. And Norm, you always are welcome here. Thank you. You're one of my favorites. You know that. Oh, God bless you. I appreciate it. Thank well, you. let me give, us, give myself a shameless plug. I uh, will be at Carnegie Hall December 22nd and 23rd. So come and see me for Christmas. And Great. also, and before that, you're at the Catalina Club in California. Yeah. So if you happen to be in Cal- at California, come see me at Catalina Club December 12th and 13th. This is not Make sure that I have all that information. I'll put it on the website. Perfect. Uh, and this is not about me. It's about Eddie. I love you, buddy. Congratulations. And thank you so much, Richard, for allowing me to be on here. Thank you for coming. Thank you so much. Thank you for this Enjoy surprise. your dinner. Bye. <laughs> that was awesome. Wasn't that fun? <laughs> Who else you got? I feel like this is this is you know this is your life, right? This is your life. I want to tell you, Norm came through, uh, and uh, Faith came through. Everybody's working. Yeah, yeah. Everybody. I mean, I reached out to everybody. That's uh, so kind all, of you. And they're all working. So I was lucky. Uh, the end, you know, so, but everybody sends messages. They love you. So uh-huh. it's great to know that you've got their respect as well. One of the things that I wanted to talk to you about going back to your previous book, um, and thank you for sharing these stories, doing what we both do. Uh, I have been very fortunate to interview some of the greatest names in show business on this platform. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, as happens with life, they've passed on. So in their own words, their stories are preserved here and through your book. So what has that meant to you in terms of allowing them, as Norm just said, to tell their stories? Um, It's so meaningful to me. Uh, because I grew up probably like you did, devouring books that, I I, want to say books like this. There weren't books exactly like this, but books about the musical theater. Um, And there were some, like Craig Zadin, Sondheim and Company, that were, you know, seminal. Um, And uh, so to be able to add to that canon um, and, 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 and leave a legacy of these stories is so meaningful to me on that level, but it also means so much. People like John Cullum and Michael Cerevis have both said to me in so many words that they feel like, Michael Cerevis said, good. Now, if anybody, once he read his chapter, he said, if anybody ever asked me anything about my career, I just have a place to refer them. I just say, <laughs> go, go, go read that, um, which is incredibly gratifying. But also in the, you know, one of the legacy things that you speak of, um, and Norm is, 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 is fresh on my brain right now, obviously. Um, Norm recommend, I, I had asked Maren Maisie about participating in, 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 in these books and she agreed to do it. And then of course I, 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 um, I missed her and I was happened to be on the phone with Norm and, and, and mentioned that. And he said, do it anyway. I was like, what are you talking about? Like, you, you want me to get a Ouija board? And he said, you know, talk to, you know, do a chapter on her anyway. So that got me thinking, I thought, well, how could I do a chapter on her anyway in the way that I want to do it? Because what I do is oral history and I wasn't interested in sort of um, uh, opining on, 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 on Marin, but I thought, well, 
if I talk to people about her and I ask them specifically not to tell me what they thought, but what they saw or what they experienced with her. So that if I could be getting um, as close as I could to Marin's experience, not somebody else's experience, uh, but of, of, of watching her perform, but as close to I could about what she was feeling or thinking in those moments, then that might be worth something. So that's what I did. Um, and that was all about preserving a, a, a Marinese's story even after she was gone. But it was really important to me to get that right um, and, and for that legacy. So um, I really did that with um, her, with Jason, her, her, her widower's uh, blessing and, and of course his participation. And yeah, I, that's, it strikes me as a supreme responsibility. Um, uh, and, and, and one I take very seriously and one I'm proud to, um, to have the subjects say, does, does, does what it's meant to do. Well, I have to say that that was really one of my, uh, I cried throughout the entire chapter uh, because I felt that I was hearing her voice uh, through this. So congratulations on that. And thank you, Norm, for the suggestion to go that route. Because, and and one of the things that Norm mentioned earlier, and I really admire this about you as well, uh, because I can honestly say that we're on the same wavelength with this. Um, these gotcha questions and these bait and switch interviews um, are a big turnoff to me. Yeah. Um, and I have seen uh, many celebrities be thrust into a spotlight that they truly should not be thrust into. Um, to me, I'm interested in their craft. I'm interested in their process. And their private lives are off bounds to me. I don't want to know the nitty gritty of their day-to-day -day life unless it has a bearing on their art. Yes, exactly. Exactly. As And frequently, that's exactly the context in which it comes up in these chapters, because sometimes their private life directly affects their working life. And that is interesting. And sometimes also the gotcha questions or the gossip, it comes out anyway, right? Mm -hmm. You get dishy, fun, juicy stories without having to tra entrap somebody. Um, they'll, they'll, they'll share, you know? <laughs> Now, with each of these books, uh, did you start out with a list of people that you were like uh, holy grail items that you were going to go after? Or what was your process in terms of putting each of these books together? Ugh. Ugh. Um, yes. <laughs> I, I had. I had. I mean, yes. Yes. <laughs> for the first book in particular, I had. Um, an exhaustive list of people I wanted to include and um, books being uh, and publishing being what it is. And since nobody was going to let me publish a 20 volume um, uh, uh, tome, I had to call the list um, because I knew I wanted the chapters long. Cause as I said, I wanted career encompassing conversations. So for that first book, I limited it to just Tony award winners so that I could have a, 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 nat a natural, um, um, uh, I don't want to say weeding out because that sounds like those who didn't make it were weeds, but, um, but a, a natural narrowing of the, of the field, um, uh, so that I didn't end up with, well, why her, not her? Um, uh, so, but it was a long list and that's part of the reason why I wanted to do a second book on women because there were still many more, um, who I wanted to, 
to capture. Um, and there are some um, to this day, they're the ones that got away. Um, there are a few people who have turned me down um, or uh, one in particular who just doesn't decided she didn't want her chapter published. After, wow. after that happened to me, I did an interview with someone uh, when I was writing my blog, you know, for my call on Dolly project. And uh, after she said, it's not you. I feel that I have given too much of my soul is what she said. And, uh, and perhaps I want to write my own book someday. And, yes. and one of, I'll tell you one of the funniest, I, uh, Marnie Nixon, I had interviewed and Marnie Nixon, uh, her book was about to come out and I had not read her book. And after I did the interview, she called me hysterical. She said, your interview was so great. No one will buy my book. And it would be the opposite. It would be an appetite wetter. Well, the interview ran because I was able to convince her because I said, we did not focus on what is she most known for? Her ghost singing. Right. And, and that's I, not where you stuck. I did not focus on that because I knew that she was right. writing her book. Right. And right. we focused on her uh, opera career and her early days. And I, I said, this is a teaser to get everyone to buy your book. And she was convinced that that was the right thing to do. Well, I tried that same argument with Barbara Cook. It didn't fly. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, but uh, our, shout out to our friend, Tom Santipietro, who was her co-writer on that book. Um, so when, how long did it take you on Nothing Like a Dame? That took four years. Um, and in part, as I said, because everybody was working. Um, the other books took me less time because of Nothing Like a Dame. Um, uh, getting those, because before Nothing Like a Dame, some of these women knew me already. Cheetah Rivera, Kristen Chenoweth, I had interviewed in magazines. So um, that was easy. But for most of these women, they had no reason to trust me. Um, I was some random guy chasing them for, 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 um, for this book. Um, after Nothing Like a Dame, I had a calling card so that when I was writing to Joel Gray and saying, I want you for this book, he could look at Nothing Like a Dame, understand exactly where I was coming from. And it was much easier to sort of move forward. And then as you already mentioned, um, uh, Here's to the Ladies was, was written um, all via, or virtually all via Zoom because we were all in lockdown. And since everybody was in lockdown, um, everybody had time. So I wasn't having to go through the scheduling issues that I was doing for the first two books. Um, and I was able to get that out faster. But Nothing Like a Dame took four years. Well, well, obviously with me, my shows are an hour. So they cut off with that hour. Uh, I'm respectful of your time and the audience's time. Uh, but with you, I mean, these interviews would go on five, six, seven, uh, maybe 13, more. 13, 15. Hours, yeah. Hours. Um, when do you know, uh, in terms of what you're doing in these books, incredible, everyone, we're going to talk about how you can get the books uh, later, uh, but writing these books, um, when do you know that it's that chapter is now done? Oh, that's actually easy um, because I do talk to them chronologically. Um, so I will 
start at the beginning and get to the end. Um, so we're we're done when we get to, you know, whatever the last thing that they've been working on and or what they're about to be working on, and then we're done. But it's actually as we're talking about each show and deciding when it's time to move on from that show, that's harder. Um, because uh, sometimes it's it's obvious. Sometimes it's clear. We've exhausted the subject. And, but sometimes I feel like, okay, I've, I've spent so much time on this one show. I have to move on or the chapter is going to be too heavily weighted, even though I can continue to talk about this one show. So it's, it's a balancing act. Now uh, you, you mentioned that with uh, a wonderful guy that you basically had a calling card and now you've got two calling cards. Well, now you've got three calling cards. Um, but getting to this book, um, were there any, and you don't have to mention names, uh, any Holy Grail interviews that did get away? Yeah. And, and I don't mind mentioning names. I really don't because I don't, I don't think it's, I don't think it reflects poorly upon them. Um, Bernadette Peters was a Holy Grail for, for she's both a and yes. Bernadette Peters, you know, um, uh, had, actually said yes to this book and then literally the day before pulled out again. Um, she, and I'm told by her, her publicist that it's just that she's not big on talking about herself, that we were talking, if we were talking about dogs, she'd be happy to talk, but she's not big on talking about herself. And I said, your next book. yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> actually the next book, is gonna if I can score more of the ones that got away, that's what I'm going for. But um, uh, I, you know, I, I've I've talked to her in person about it, Bernadette, and she said, you know, she, she's like these books, they're good. You know, she admires them, but just didn't didn't feel ready. But you know, Faith herself said, you know, she didn't feel ready either. She was scared, and then turned out okay. Um, and that's the thing that, look, Bernadette is certainly doesn't need to do this, right? Bernadette is a legend and there's no reason why her story needs to be in print. Um, and maybe she's perfectly happy with, with, with her legacy just being the work. Um, but almost everybody I've spoken to, I mean, I, I suppose there are some people who've held back and haven't told me if they don't like it, but so many people have expressed how gratifying it is um, to have their story, you know, as we talked about um, uh, as part of the annals and, and, and it's there. Uh, and there are even people, Donna McKechnie is one um, who have written their own books and still th she said, you know, you captured me better than I captured me. Mm -hmm. um, and I think there's something to that without, it's not about shooting my own horn, just about, when you're telling your own story, you're protective of some of the people in it or, or, or your own stuff. Um, so you, you're, there's a, there's an objectivity lost. Whereas when somebody else is, is, is eking it out of you, they can be a little bit more objective. Um, so. Yeah, well, you know, it's different doing what I do live versus what I was doing when I was doing my blog and, uh, interviewing uh, because sometimes uh, when you're sitting down, and I'm sure this has happened to you as well, um, they really open up. And you mentioned earlier, and I did the same thing with my blog, I would always send it to them for their approval before publishing it. 
Um, and that's admirable. So God bless you for that. Well, that um, is because these are their own words. That's the whole point of it. So I want them to, to feel represented accurately. And it's in some cases, it's because, you know, the people would have changes or thoughts because, oh, that's what I said, but it's not quite what I meant. Or, and in some cases, some people didn't want to read, but Patty Lapone is an example. I sent her stuff that I thought was incendiary. She didn't feel like she wanted to read the whole chapter, but I said, here are some passages that, you know, they're, they're a little hot. Do you sure you want these in print? And she said, yeah. <laughs> but that's Patty. You know, Patty, is, she, I mean, she wears her life on her sleeves. Yeah. And that's one of the things that I love about her. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's what everybody loves about her. But still, I didn't want, I don't want anybody to feel, to come away from this process with regret. I wanted them to feel like the, I'm telling their stories the way they want it to be told. Um, and that's not sugarcoating. That's just accurate representation. Well, I want to talk about another book that you didn't write, uh, and that's Barbara Streisand's book that just came out. Have you, are you reading it or have you started to read it? I literally got back from India 48 hours ago. So, no, I, I haven't had a chance it. yet. <laughs> I'm listening to the audiobook, and it's 48 hours, just to let you know that. Yes, and I 48 hours and 15 minutes. Don't, don't forget yeah, those 15 yeah. minutes. <laughs> but she is very open about people that she worked with it's and it's not gossipy it's this is my story to tell right right which and i and, and there's something about being 80 years old or she's somewhere in there um that gives you that freedom right that sort of says i'm not i'm, I'm now not worried about whether or not this is going to haunt me or whether or not this director is going to want to work with me again i can just tell my story is she somebody that you would like to interview in case she's watching I would certainly not say no, but also <laughs> when it comes to, uh, it's interesting that you asked that question though, because when I was looking at, at, at Nothing Like a Dame, there are some names, Barbara Streisand, Carol Burnett, Liza Minnelli, Julie Andrews, um, that the reason I, I didn't chase those women, there were two reasons. One is because all, all three books are feature people who have careers in musical theater, as opposed to some people who have famously done musicals, but Barbara Streisand's career is not musical theater. She, she did a couple of shows, mm -hmm. um, but um, so less interesting to me or, or, or less, sorry, less of what I was going for, but also all of those women's stories have been told again and again and again. Mm -hmm. um, so while selfishly it interests me to sit on a couch and talk to Barbara Streisand, I don't know that there's anything that I could get her to reveal or, or any story that she could tell me that hasn't been told now by her, but also by many others before. So I don't know that I have anything to add to the equation. Well, again, what I love about her book and yours as well are the, uh, the process. I'm interested in how an artist gets from point A to point B and beyond, and also their process in terms of working. What are some of the life lessons that you've learned from some of the artists that you've had the good fortune to interview? Well, I, I told you the, the Barbara Streisand one, I mean, Barbara Cook one. Um, I will uh, share another, you know, when I talk to you, I, I Carol Channing is always at the front of the brain. Um, so um, uh, 
after Nothing Like a Dame came out, I had the opportunity to interview Carol. Uh, I mean, I made it happen, but I interviewed her at in front of an audience at Disneyland. Um, and so she came uh, to an event that I produced at Disneyland. And then the day after that event, I spent the day in Disneyland Park with she and Harry. her husband, Harry Collegian. And Harry was 90 at the time and Carol was 89. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, it's Disneyland. It's packed with people. It's Times Square. And I'm with nonagenarians. And, you know, we're going to we're going to take it easy. Nothing doing. They wanted to do everything we could do. Um, and they were we got to the we got off the Peter Pan ride and Harry is staring at the carousel. And I wasn't going to put them on a carousel. It's a merry-go-round. But I said, Harry, did you want to ride the carousel? And he said, I'm looking at it. And I said, Harry, <laughs> you want to ride? Let's That's ride. Right. So we go to the carousel. Carol takes a sensible bench. Harry wants a horse. So this man is 90. He puts a leg in a stirrup and that's it. So I literally lift him and put him on the horse, but he is so happy. And at the end of the day, I was really struck by, and this happened to coincide with um, my mother's own depression at that, in that period, she was quite unhappy with her own aging. Um, and, and was really seriously depressed about it. And here I, and I was looking at these people determined, despite their limitations, to squeeze every ounce of juice they could out of what life opportunities they had. And of course, that's true of their marriage to begin with, this late, late life marriage. Um, and I thought, God, I don't know what the aging process is going to be for me. And I don't know what, what way... I will, what kind of condition I will be in. But to the extent that these things are a choice, please let me remember to choose this. Please let me remember to choose to keep embracing life and keep doing everything I can possibly do um, because it was beautiful. And uh, Harry actually would call me, he died that same year, but he would call me every few weeks and 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 just catch up and 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 he always said that day was so magical you don't know what kind of gift you gave us eddie and i said harry you don't know the kind of gift you gave me uh because it it really was a gift sorry that's a long story but that's the kind of no, life I, I absolutely love it uh you know harry died the day after christmas yes and uh every year on christmas day i would get a phone call from carol and harry and carol would always say Richard, this is your Christmas carol. And, and I got that every year. And that year, I didn't get the call. And, uh, and I did not know. And then the next day, when Missy, his daughter, called to tell me that he had passed away, um, it was heartbreaking. But at the same time, I look at a person's life. And if they are lucky enough to live such a long life, and they live to the very end, which they both did. I mean, he had an aneurysm and she was on stage. It happened after the performance in Palm Springs. So he was in the theater up until the very end. Uh, and uh, he chose not to get, uh, I mean, not to have the medical treatment that it would have taken. That would have meant going to UCLA. 
but they lived their life to the absolute fullest and she lived for the theater and it was her it was her passion and that comes across in your chapter on her yeah, I have. Yeah, I have. She, she, so one of the great things that she said to me when I was leaving her house for the first time, she said, well, thank you so much for being so interested. And I said, interested? Carol, isn't everybody who talks to you interested in talking to you? And she said, well, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, at some point when you have more time, I will privately share. Uh, I was with her. At an interview once that didn't go so well Ooh. because the interviewer was more interested in the questions he was asking than what she had to say. And she stopped him. And wow. Go, stopped him. <coughs> Excuse me. Good for her. Good it for was, her. It was quite an interesting thing. I mean, uh, again, you know, I'm so fascinated in the fact that once you get them on this journey, because it is a journey telling their stories, that they do want to come back and they want to spend uh, 13, 14, 15 hours with you. What's your secret to that? Oh, I can't be objective about that. I've been asked that question. And, um, uh, you know, uh, my wit, my charm, I don't know. Um, It's uh, It's your interest. Your interest. Uh, Yes, it is perhaps my interest. It is perhaps my, um, you know, norm alluded to it. Um, I think it is the combination of um, uh, preparedness, but also actual, it's very clear that my love for and appreciation for them and their work and what they bring and the industry to which they've devoted their lives, that's all real. Um, So they can feel that. They can feel that I'm not some reporter on assignment um, and uh, that makes a difference, I guess. Again, I, I can't speak for these people. I can only say I feel both blessed and um, uh, privileged that they do trust me enough to open up the way that they do um, and to to tell their stories for that amount of time. Now, you said you just got back from India. Were you able to enjoy yourself or were you writing a book on Bollywood while you were there? <laughs> no, I was there strictly, I was there strictly to explore. I actually um, was on a cruise that started in Athens and ended in Dubai. And then I, while I was in Dubai, I thought, well, where, what's nearby that I haven't seen? So I flew over to India for eight days and spent eight days there. And you're going to Carnegie Hall tonight to see Kelly O'Hara. Give her my love, uh, you know, and congratulations. Um, I'm going to give my closing remarks. Then I'm going to leave the screen and I'm going to let you have your closing remarks. But we're going to close with Marin Maisie because I wanted to open with Barbara Cook and I wanted to close with Marin Maisie because that's the book into your book and also that incredible introduction with Norm Lewis. Uh, so, uh, and I found this tribute to Marin on uh, YouTube. So with all due respect to the person who put it together, uh, thank you for allowing us to use this tonight. Um, I want to let everyone know um, there are three books. Here's to the ladies, Nothing Like a Dame. A wonderful guy. Uh, Nothing Like a Dame is on my shelf. Uh, But yes, it's right behind you. This is what I want you all to do. Call your favorite bookseller. 
and ask if they have any of these books. And if they don't, they have them watch this interview and tell them that these books should be on their shelves. Um, it's very easy. You can go to amazon.com and order the book, but I'm a big proponent for uh, independent uh, booksellers. So if you can do that, that will get this book into other stores as well. So it's important to do that. And if they're not willing to do that, shame on them, then go to Amazon or Barnes and Noble or the Drama Bookshop in New York yeah. City and get it there. Uh, the that's a very- Bookshop, by the way, that picture that you showed at the beginning, um, the ladies who were there and I, we were there right before I left on my trip. Um, we signed a bunch of books there. Thank you. We all signed a bunch of books that are still there in the Drama Bookshop. So if you... Uh, I mean, I'm assuming they still have some in stock. So at the Drama Bookshop, you can get them signed by myself and those women. And what great Christmas gifts these would be or holiday gifts, uh, whatever it is that you celebrate. Uh, as I say with all my shows, celebrate. Uh, I end every show by telling everyone to go out and do something nice for somebody else without expecting anything in return. Pick up the phone and call someone that you haven't spoken to in a long time. Go to your Facebook uh, friends list and the third name that pops up, reach out with a phone call and tell them about Eddie Shapiro and his amazing books um, and have a wonderful conversation with them. Let them know the impact that they have made on your life. What I love about these books is that all of these artists, and I mean all of them, have made an impact on my life. And to hear them tell their stories in their own words via Eddie Shapiro is a gift to all of us. So as the holidays come up, these would make great gifts for everyone. Order two books, order all three, keep one for yourself and then send one to that third friend on that list. Um, I have a dear friend, uh, Sean Moniger, and he says, we're all in the same storm, but we're in different size boats. And I always say, I don't care what size boat you're on as long as you have a skipper by your side. And with that, I'm gonna turn it over to you, Eddie. And when you say goodbye, Aaron Maisie will take us out. Thank you, oh, it's yeah. all yours. Uh, Richard, I just want to say thank you so much for having me. And thank you, um, Richard J. Alexander, for, as you said, putting a bug in my ear to call you um, and say, hey, let's do this. Um, I am struck once again, um, and I had forgotten, frankly, that your show is about celebration. It's Richard Skipper celebrates with such positivity um, and it's infectious. It is needed, especially in these turbulent times. Um, and it's beautiful. Um, so thank you for that. Thank you for having me. And thank you for uh, plugging my book uh, so beautifully, our books. And, um, and have a happy holiday season, everybody. Thank you. Some say happiness comes and goes. Then this happiness is a kind of happiness no one really knows. Now, sometimes it takes a long time for your Romeo to show. I know. I really know. But one day, my no-show Romeo showed up in a show. I wasn't used to someone really loving me. What if he was like all the others? But I hate men. My shrink said, Marin, are you crazy? Wake up. 
This is what we've been waiting for. We love to sing together, so it works out really well. We really looked out <laughs> on life partners and singing partners. If I were to look for a singing partner, I couldn't find anyone that's more you know, well-suited to you know, my voice, and I think for Marin as well. Yeah. That's my arrival moment when I got married. I think that when I would say I've arrived in life, and my life you know, took a turn. I apparently vocalized too loud. He's not vocalizing too loud. When he rehearses a song to learn it, he really has to sing it full out all the time. Like, I can learn things really quietly, and he has to sing it full out all the time. So, um, <laughs> I am extremely grateful, but I'm never supposed to be proud or feel good about myself. Been in therapy for years and I still feel that way. I'm wearing denim from the Vermont Country Store. And he came to the first preview and I texted him at intermission and said, Will you still sleep with me? And he didn't text back. <laughs> My husband is over here laughing because he knows it's true. The roles usually performed by Marin Maisie will now be performed by Marin Maisie. Don't speak. Don't speak. Be silent. Be silent. Please don't speak. Be silent. And as we started rehearsal, I started to fill up just bloating, which was very odd for me, something that really never happens to me. I was on the phone with my internist and saying, this is strange, and he said, it looks like you have some growths in your ovaries. On the 6th of May, Wednesday the 6th of May, <laughs> the day I will never forget, I learned that I indeed had ovarian cancer. And I stepped out on stage and sang, life is what you do while you're waiting to die. And I, I was like, John Kander and Fred Ebb are scoring my life right now. <laughs> life is what you do. While you're waiting to die, life is how the time goes on. I didn't really fit the profile. I was having vaginal ultrasounds. I was having those things, um, but it wasn't detected. We have to try and find a test for ovarian cancer. There isn't one. I think women just think they're going for a gynecological exam, like the pap smear, that that sort of takes care of it. It does not. Ovarian cancer, the signs are very silent. I've always been a very positive person, but I really believe in the positive of the mind healing the body. And you'll see all this jewelry that I have on right now. This is all, I wore all of this jewelry during my healing therapy. <laughs> this is from Strowman. This is from my friend Doug. This is from Nancy Dussault. This is from Susan Mervine. As some of you may or may not know, um, uh, my cancer has recurred um, and I am back in healing therapy. So I, I do feel that everything happens for a reason. And I feel that I have ovarian cancer so I can help other women. When all of this love started coming in to me. I was overwhelmed by it, but it was something that saved me many, many times. I'm, I feel very grateful and lucky that I have been able to make a living in this business. And I think that's, you know, that's the greatest gift. And to have, you know, my amazing husband as my life partner. We can.